Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Current events, local, world news, and what's trending. Thank you for joining me this evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining me. I hope everybody um, has had a really good week. Hope everybody's being safe out there. Everybody following these pandemic rules set out by your healthcare professionals all around the world. So we all heard about Tiger Woods. I'm glad that he is okay and that he's going to recover. So I came across this article on um, driving and this person wrote this article and it goes something like this. You don't get a pass, Tiger. There's no such thing as a car accident. And what does she mean by that? Scroll down here, we're going to find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we go. Cars don't go out of control. Roads don't suddenly bend, rain and glare and snow and ice and fog are all part of things you have to account for when you drive. Harsh? Sure it's harsh. Every driver had something happen they didn't anticipate. And most of the time, most, the car corrects for us. Or we catch the mistake in time. And whether anyone else finds out is a matter of how much you want to admit after the fact. But short of a meteor hitting your windshield, an unexpected unexpected medical event, or a sinkhole opening up beneath you, there is no such thing as an accident. The sooner we read our language of the word when reporting on vehicle crashes. Now here, um, I believe that they took the word accident out of the Highway Traffic Act and replaced it with incident. 
the sooner we get back to understanding and acknowledging we are responsible for the weapons we drive that kill us and others. Well, we do. We are responsible. As adults, we're supposed to be responsible. We are supposed to drive accordingly. We are supposed to follow the rules of the road. But we know not everybody does. And me being a trucker, I see that every single day. Tiger Woods should do ads for uh, geniuses for free for the rest of his life. Because he owes that vehicle. Two, dec two decades ago, maybe even only one, he likely wouldn't have escaped as relatively unscathed as he did. Auto manufacturers are producing vehicles that are far smarter than those who drive them. As long as we keep accepting these events as accidents, they'll have to be. Imagine that, a car smarter than the actual driver of the vehicle. It's true. I'm glad it was a single car collision because if anyone else had been near Woods when he was having his accident, it could have cost them a catastrophic injury or death. I doubt we'd, we'd be talking about that time Tiger Woods got in a car accident. But I'm glad he'll recover. There's reasons driving requires 100% of our of our attention. 100% of the time. So put those cell phones down, ladies and gentlemen, and drive your freaking cars. Mechanical failure is a thing. Freak weather is a thing. Impaired driving is a thing. Distracted drivers are a thing. Reckless drivers are a thing. But those are all called causes, not accidents. Now there's a second part to this little story here. And it involves lawyers of all people. Cities responsible for the road where Tiger Woods crashed could be found liable in court, is one lawyer says. The two cities responsible for the road on which Tiger Woods crashed his car and suffered serious leg injuries Tuesday could be liable for the accident. How about the incident? 
according to a California attorney who said he has been involved in similar cases. That would, that would be data that would put the cities on notice that it's, it's a dangerous stretch of roadway. And their failure to take responsibility or responsible steps to alleviate the danger to either redesign the roadway, add traffic signals, reduce the speed limit, and speed bump. Take various measures to reduce the risk. Their failure to do that could potentially subject them to liability. Now, the city officials where this incident took place and asked about the history of incidents on that stretch of Hawthorne Boulevard, the city's shared jurisdiction of the road, according to Los Angeles County. The road has a speed limit of 45 miles an hour. Now, anybody see Tiger Wood cars? in the newspaper, on the news. He was obviously doing more than 45 miles an hour. It can be difficult to sue the sovereign and sometimes fight City Hall, this lawyer says. But if you do successfully, it can be a big case for the client. Now, this is a type of lawyer that, you know, he's going to run to these incidents, these single car crashes on these roadways because he's an ambulance chaser. I bet he even comes with the ambulance. A city attorney, law professor at the University of Southern California, said key factors include determining if there was actual or constructive knowledge of the dangerous condition and whether the condition is objectively dangerous. Roadways in general are dangerous. An intersection is one of the most dangerous places on this planet. And we try to make the intersections as safely as we possibly can. More advanced turning signals, red light cameras, which people just simply seem to ignore. Speed limits that people just simply ignore. 30 miles an hour in the city is the speed limit unless posted otherwise. Highway speeds vary in the United States. Not all interstates have the same speed limits. Here in Ontario, Canada, all of our highways, major highways, the 400 series highways have the same speed limit, 60 miles per hour. Except for a couple little stretches 
where they decide to put it up to 65 miles an hour and it'll roughly save you about a minute and a half. There are very fact-dependent inquiries. Ultimately, the question is whether there's a dangerous condition of public property. While saying he was not commenting on Wood's situation, he addressed that the idea of entitlement. The question of are we always blaming others for the problems we find ourselves in? And when we do, we take responsibility. He said, it's always somebody else's fault. It seems to be that kind of modern phenomenon as the weather's fault. You know, it was snowing and it was icy and I was driving faster than I should have been and I ended up in the ditch. So it's the weather's fault. I've been licensed for 38 years. I've been a trucker for 33. And never once have I ever put my car in the ditch. And never once ever put the transport truck in the ditch. How is that possible? Because I drive accordingly. I drive my car professionally. I drive the transport truck professionally. Interesting little stories there. Now, the topic I would want to talk about tonight also is um, feeling exhausted after video chat. And there's a reason for that. And we're just going to scroll right on down here and find it. Not what I wanted. No. Now, you know, if I click on the right stuff here, you know, if I was paying attention, then I would have been already on the page. I wouldn't be having this incident right now. Oh, it's way down the bottom. Well, here we go. Feeling exhausted after video chats. There's a reason for that. Now, because of all this COVID going on, a lot of people working from home, they're having their office meetings through Zoom or whatever media source they are using. Now, 
An influx of virtual meetings might not be the only factor causing Zoom fatigue in potentially millions of people during the COVID-19 pandemic. The very design of video conferencing apps could be wiping you out too, according to the group of U.S. researchers. Tech technology like Zoom, which surged from 10 million users to more than 300 million in a matter of months last year. Places physical restraints on users requires more Cognitive labor can amount to an all-day mirror and forces everyone to stare at each other. The compounding psychological effects of those factors can be exhausting, said this researcher. Zoom interface design consistently beams faces to everybody, regardless of who is speaking. From a perceptual standpoint, Zoom effectively transforms listeners into speakers and smothers everyone with eye gaze. So you're just sitting there staring at the screen, looking at everybody's faces. Everybody can see everybody. It's not the same as sitting, you know, in the boardroom. You know, because we all sit behind our laptop. You know, I'm not doing any Zoom right now, but, you know, I have my laptop just to the right of me. And then my monitor up here in front of me. It's not the same, obviously. But in perspective, we're all staring at a screen, even on our cell phone. In a typical environment, people don't stare into each other's eyes for that long. Think of it, think of it um, as an elevator or an Uber ride. We have developed social norms that make it okay to avert your gaze for an extended period of time. In a meeting environment, people tend to use eye contact sparingly. Conversations is really like an eye gaze dance. People often make eye contact, acknowledge the connection, look away, and return again at different intervals. Partly because being stared at causes psychological arousal and awakens the nervous system. Yeah, because someone's just, you know, standing there staring at you. I mean, I'm not going to get aroused because someone's standing there staring at me. You know, but, you know, it's awkward. You know, and you, you know they're staring at you and you look and then turn away. And then they're staring at you and you look and they turn away. The all-day mirror.
Video conferencing apps also require an increased cognitive load, meaning users send and receive more cues than in normal settings, and including the need to frame yourself in the camera, considering the volume of one's voice and offering more physical reactions like nodding to a speaker. While they may require more physical considerations, Zoom meetings also require less use physically and can feel straining, researchers say. There's no pacing around the room. Water cooler breaks or other movements that research has shown can cause better performance in meetings. Instead, we're stuck to the viewing restroom, the specific space in which the webcam frames the user. I mean, how many people out there, I mean, it, it goes, like there must just be millions of people out there working from home, as they're saying. I mean, it's just, do you feel like this? The people out there that have to do these home home meetings, they have to work from home. Perhaps one of the bigger strains for some video conferencing app users is what the Stanford researchers called a kind of all-day mirror. The default setting on video apps like Zoom is to show the user a view of their own camera. Seeing the self can have positive outcomes, said Hancock, noting a study where researchers put a mirror in front of a candy bowl and found people took more candy when there was no mirror. Does it look like more mirror, like more candy? Sometimes being reminded of who we are and what we're trying to be a good human that can be valuable but over time if we're just constantly looking in the mirror then that can lead to questions of i don't look that way i want to look i'm not who i want to be it reminds us that we're not that ideal version And it goes on to reducing fatigue. There are some built-in strategies that video conferencing users can use to reduce the impact of Zoom fatigue. The researchers said, like the hide self-view button to avoid the all-day mirror effect. The researchers also recommend using an external webcam and keyboard to allow for more space from the screen and to vary your seating arrangements. They also suggest making use of the audio only function on the apps or simply picking up the phone when video isn't necessary. Phone calls have driven productivity and social connection for many decades. 
and only a minority of calls require staring at each other's person's face to successfully communicate. As part of the new online study, the team have developed a new framework to measure Zoom fatigue in hopes that they can determine if any of these strategies improve user reporting of Zoom fatigue. Now that's pretty interesting. So some things that people can try to do, you know, businesses, you know, how many Zoom calls do you have to have a day? You know, because, you know, working from home, obviously you have other business to take care of than being in Zoom calls all day long. And how long should these Zoom calls last? Should be maybe half hour, you know, 15 minutes. Is 45 minutes an hour too long? You know, can the can the point be made um, as quickly as possible, everybody get the understanding of the job that they have to do. It would be interesting. I'd like to see a follow-up of this story and um, see what else comes up here. I'm sure they're gonna be doing other studies. I'm sure they're gonna be hearing back um, from other people and stuff like that. So yeah, pretty interesting article here. So thank you for joining me this evening, coming out here on a Friday. And um, I will be back on tomorrow morning at 11.15 a.m. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about what is going to be happening um, starting uh, the beginning of March um, here in Ontario, here in the city of London where I reside as we move forward through these uh, color-coded reopenings here that's going to be starting on Monday as we move into the orange color. And I think I mentioned on my show before that uh, you can um, search the color-coded reopenings Ontario and you'll see the color codes on exactly what they mean from the gray, uh, the orange, the, the, the yellow, and the green. As we, we start to reopen the economy here and get more people back to work. And uh, how long will we stay in the orange color? That's gonna remain to be seen. Um, here in the city of London, uh, where, uh, where I reside, um, We've had single 
uh, digit um, reported COVID, which um, we haven't seen that, you know, um, in a very long time. We've been in the, in the, in the double and triple numbers, you know, since really the fall time where just after Christmas, we had the lockdown here all across Ontario. Stay at home orders. So as things start to slowly um, reopen, um, Canada and all the provinces, you know, we're starting to receive more vaccines. So uh, more people can get the vaccine shot. And um, still, you know, they're, you know, the, the top health officials, I mean, they're talking about a third wave already. And they're talking about with these new variants, you know, opening up too fast, you know, would we be setting ourselves up for failure and only to go back into lockdown again? Which I really don't. I really don't want to see that. No, I, you know, everybody, you know, um, we don't want to be doing that. And, and that's why I say on my shows too that, you know, um, we all have a role to play. We all have a responsibility. And I get it. It's been tough. It's been tough on so many people, millions and millions of people. It's just been really, really tough. Financially, physically, mentally. It's been just horrific for some people. So that's why it's so important, you know, that we got to follow these mandated rules. We really do. We've got to wear the mask when we're in public buildings. We gotta social distance. Uh, you know, wash your hands fifty times a day. Wash your hands as many times as you want. Sanitize your hands as many times as you want. Holding large, large uh, gatherings. Uh, you know. People having parties, you know, going against the orders of how many people you can have um, in one place. Only hurts you, the ones that are doing that, because you're the ones who are going to be getting the hefty fine. You know, when it comes, and I, and I said this before, when it comes to situations like this, when it comes to, you know, being in a pandemic or, or, or if, they, if, if the government has to put in place an emergency order to, to, protect, to protect you, you know, whether 
you know, protect you from injury, protect you from death, protect you from, from, from some sort of disaster happening. You know, it's not an infringement on your rights. I was looking at the at the at the the, the Canadian Constitution, and right in the Constitution, it talks about pandemics and and, and other unexpected emergencies where governments can impose these rules upon you. I know people out there don't, don't, don't like it. People out there, you know, having their big rallies about it, you know. Being like, you know, sort of, you know, being responsible, but not being responsible because like you're in a large group of people. There's no social distancing. You know, we have the right to protest. We have the right, you know, but you have to do it peacefully. There's rules to follow. Protest all you want, but you know, you know, um, in the in this situation, in this pandemic, you know, the health officials and the governments, you know, they're not going to change their mind. They're trying to protect life, and and you know what, we've lost way too many people from this pandemic. The United States alone. 500,000 people. Other countries not too far behind them. Canada, we've been very lucky so far. I mean, one death is one too many. We've had about 21, 22,000 since the beginning of this pandemic. We have 780,000 cases, but the recovery um, is 749,000 or something like that. It only leaves something like 32,000 active cases um, in the entire country here in Canada. We have strict travel rules that have, have just been uh, put in place for people returning back to Canada. So you know what those rules are, you can go on the Canadian, uh, on the uh, uh, Canadian government um, site and you can search travel restrictions and you'll be able to find all that information on traveling back to Canada. And we probably have one of the most stringent most strictest rules going on right now in the entire world. So if you're thinking about coming back here to the Canadians that uh, went abroad and 
you know, just went against the travel advisory to begin with. And then they wonder why the government has put these, these uh, more stringent uh, measures into place. Well, we're trying to get out of this pandemic. We want to save lives. We want to get out of this. We want our lives back. We want to be normal again. But like I said, it's going to take all of us to do it. We all have a role to play. We all have a responsibility. Now, how you want to do it is entirely up to you. Do you want to keep fighting it the whole way? Well, that's your business. The more people were thinking like that, you know, the longer we're going to stay in there. But the more people around the world doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, being part of the solution and not part of the problem, Now, I'm not saying we're going to be out of this pandemic when summertime comes. No, that's not going to happen. But we got to make this a better year than 2021. Unfortunately, you know, I said this too on one of my episodes too. I mean, I'm predicting the entire year, you know, we're going to be in this pandemic. Even with the, the vaccines rolling out, I feel that we got a long way to go to bring these numbers down all over the world, especially in the United States our neighbors to the south, our friends to the south. Now, there are uh, a couple families um, that come uh, to the same um, cottage resort that we go to here in Ontario every year. Unfortunately, they weren't allowed to come last year because the Canadian in the United States border is closed. And it's only open for essential travel. This may be another summer that they may have to cancel again because I don't see the government opening um, the border for all travel anytime soon. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, both sides, you know, Canada and the United States for tourism, you know, uh, is hurting. But, you know, our Canadian government is going to do everything they possibly can to protect Canadians. So that border you know, it's shuttered now to the 21st of March, then that'll mark one year that the Canada in the United States border has been closed. 
And I'm pretty sure that it's going to continue. Because every month they re they they review it and they extend it another 30 days. And I bet my bottom dollar that after March 21st, it'll be extended to April 21st. Because we're not ready. You know, this is, you know, the first week, this is the first week of coming out of a lockdown in a stay-at-home order here in Ontario, Canada. Actually, sorry, two weeks. It's been two weeks since um, we've been out of a lockdown and stay-at-home order. And we want to be able to, you know, extend these openings. As we move along, and as we're all waiting to be vaccinated, it would be nice to see Johnson and Johnson's vaccine um, be ready and available and into arms of people here in Canada. We had a setback on vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. But hopefully we have that resolved now and the vaccines are coming back and we are ramping up the facilities in order to vaccinate people. We're putting things in place and we're getting ready for this max, this mass vaccine campaign. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining me this evening. And I will be uh, back out um, tomorrow. Um, I'm thinking probably around 11.15 a.m. Um, I have some essential things I have to do in the morning. I generally have a show around 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, but I have to do some essential stuff because, you know, you know, I, you know, going to work and coming home, you know, I just don't have, you know, all that much time during the evenings and stuff like that. Sometimes I just don't feel like it and I just wait till the weekend to uh, go out and get the things that I need. So yeah, tomorrow morning, um, about 11.15 a.m., I will be back out here. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me this evening. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Have a great evening, everybody. I'll be back tomorrow, like I said, at 11.15 a.m. Good night, everybody.